0: All right, if you got your Bibles, uh, get, get them out and get them open, and we'll turn to Matthew chapter 18. And today we're going to look at verses 15 through 20. And this passage stands out, and I'll tell you why it stands out. I, I want to—I always like to give you something to make the passage stand out to you, from uh, different than what we usually do. What makes this passage stand out is that I think it's one of the most neglected passages of scriptures in the entire Bible. I almost titled the sermon "The Most Neglected Passage in the Entire Bible." I think we, we might love this passage, but we do not. As a church, I think all churches across the board might love this passage, but we don't obey this passage. Very few churches do what this passage says to do. So I think it's one of the most neglected passages in the entire Bible. And we shouldn't neglect it. If God tells us to do something, and no matter what it is, we ought to obey it and do what it says. So the church, I think, has done a great job of talking about sin, but we've done a terrible job of dealing with sin within the church. So we're going to look at that today, and I've entitled the sermon, Dealing with Sin in the Church. And this is a how-to on dealing with sin in the church, and you must deal with sin in the church. Uh, I say this, sinners ought to be comfortable in the church, but sin should never be tolerated in the church. So we're going to look at that today, how to deal with sin in the church. So let's stand together. I want to read you verses 15 through 20, and we're going to look at dealing with sin in the church. So verses 15 through 20, and and the word of God says, and and this this is what the word of God tells us today. Verse 15, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, then let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican. For verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again I say unto you, that if two two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them." So this is a a tough passage. I wouldn't say it's easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it is necessary that we deal with this and that we do this in our church. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll look at dealing with sin in the church. Father, I pray that you'd help me today. This is not an easy passage. I knew that coming into it this week as we opened it up and we're going verse by verse. And this was the next passage in line. I knew it was going to be difficult. I knew it would be hard. I knew it's something that, that we don't like to hear, but I think it's something we need to hear. So God, help me to handle it well. Help me to have the right tone. Help me to do it in a way that's loving and kind and gracious, but in a way that is truthful. Help me to stand boldly upon your word as I preach it. And I pray for the ones that are hearing it today, God, that we will not just hear this and say, yes, it needs to be done, but we would do this. Because the church needs this, and I believe we as Christians need this. So God, help us today. We need your, uh, the power of your spirit as we preach and as we listen today. This will be good for our church. So help us. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to give you a saying, a phrase that everybody here has heard. I think it's a good phrase. I think it's a uh, a biblical phrase. I think it's something that every one of us should say amen to. I think it's worthy of, of every one of us accepting it as truth. We've all heard it. Maybe we've all said it. But here it is. It's a phrase that says, if we spare the rod, we... I mean, you guys have all heard it. You're right there with me. I mean, you guys could probably preach this passage. If you spare the rod, you'll spoil the child. And this is a biblical phrase. It may not be in those words that if you spare the rod, you spoil the child. That means if you, if you don't whip your children, you're going to spoil them. And it's a biblical phrase. I'm going to pull it straight from Proverbs 13. He that spareth his rod hates his son. But he that loves his son, him he will chasten. Be times. I like that in the King James. You'll do it diligently. You'll do it a lot. You will uh, discipline your children. And this, I think this is one of the hardest things. Just me being uh, personable to you here in a personal way. I think it's one of the hardest things as a parent to do is discipline your children. My dad used to tell me, and he's sitting right here. My dad used to say to me every time he would whip me, and he whipped me a lot. I had a paddle that had my name on it. My dad did not spare the rod he he didn't and he would every single time he would whip me and I would be sitting there just just ready to take it I was mad I was upset my dad would look at me and he'd say this hurts me worse than it does you and for years I thought my dad is the biggest liar on the face of the planet I mean I thought that I thought, there's no way my dad's getting ready to whip me he's not going to spare the rod and and I thought there's no way that hurts him worse than it does me and then I had children And my children would misbehave. They would cross a line. They would do things that they shouldn't do. And I had to discipline them. And I understood in that moment, the first time I had to discipline one of my children, that my dad was not a liar. He was telling the truth. And when I with my children now, it's the same thing. This hurts me worse than it does you. And my kids look at me like, my dad is the biggest liar on the face of the planet. I think that's how it goes, because it does hurt. It's so hard, but it's so necessary to discipline your children. The Bible is full of this. If your child steps out of line, that child must be disciplined. That child must be corrected. A good father does this because he knows it's good for his children. And if children aren't disciplined, you guys aren't saying amen. I need kids to say amen today. If your children aren't disciplined, if you spare the rod, then your children will become spooled. And by spooled, I mean they will do whatever they want, they will get whatever they want, they will act however they want without any fear of correction at all. I think we're living in an age of undisciplined children. And it's not just that the children that are little now, it's children that were little, that have grown up now, and they have no consequences to any of their actions. They're spooled children. So we can agree, and I want you guys to say amen with me on this. I need somebody to to back me up on this. You're sitting there saying, Josh is abusing his kids and his dad did too. (laughs) I need you to back me up on this, because it's a biblical truth. We agree children must be corrected. Okay, (laughs) I was fishing for amens there and I got it. So now, let me transition to our passage today. We must also agree that God's children must be corrected. Okay, there you go. Just as our children need corrected, God's children must be corrected. A good father on earth will correct his children. And our good father in heaven will not let his children go uncorrected. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here in this passage. He's been training his disciples... It's his time, it's almost time for him to go to the cross. He's gonna die, be buried, risen again, ascend into heaven, and his disciples will be left on earth without his physical presence. So in, in chapter 18, he's teaching them some very important lessons that they need to understand. While I'm gone, this is how you'll be taken care of. And in explaining this to the disciples, I love that. In verse 2, you can look in your Bibles, He takes a child, an infant, and He puts it in His lap. Probably Peter's child. They're in Peter's house. So He's sitting there teaching the, the 12 disciples and a kid comes waddling by and Jesus grabs the child, puts him on His lap and says, just like this child or every single one of you. This is how our Father in Heaven We'll take care of you, we'll watch out for you, we'll provide for you, we'll protect you. This is how you will be taken care of once I'm gone. Like a little child. We are all God's children as believers and as God's children, he will always watch out for his children. And we've been studying this throughout chapter 18. And now we get to what I think is the hardest lesson for them. And I think it's the hardest lesson for us. Just like the good stuff of God watching out for His children, defending His children, protecting His children, providing for His children. Now He says, God also has to discipline His children. So He gets to the the importance of Correction of the need for discipline. How when we as Christians step out of line, when we sin, we must be corrected. We must be pulled back into line. And here in this passage today is how to do that. God uses his church to correct his children. Can we say that again. It's not just that God's up there sending some kind of lightning bolt down to, to correct His children. We, we often think that, oh, oh God will, God will correct us, and it's some kind of lightning bolt that He's just going, boom, and, and all of a sudden I'm corrected. And we have the Spirit within us, but God uses His church to correct His children. And here in this passage today is the how to do it. This is how we deal with sin in the church. And I think, I know the world hates this. This is not a popular subject. They can't stand this. Unbelievers, unsaved, think this right here is the most judgmental thing in the world. But when we read this, we see that this isn't unloving. This isn't judgmental. This is God's loving way to correct His children. I think God in heaven is a lot like my dad was and a lot like I am today This is going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. It breaks his heart to have to discipline his children. If you have a father that loves to discipline his children, that's not very loving. Breaking out the paddle saying, come on, this is going to be good. That's not how God looks down on his children. This is a loving correction. And it shows us here how serious we must take sin in the church. That you must deal with it. you do not let it go. You don't let it just just uh, fester up inside the church that a, a little leaven will leaven the whole loaf. If you let sin run rampant in your church, it loses its purity. It's lo- it loses its, its power. It loses the presence of God within that church. So you must deal with sin in the church. You can't let sin go unchallenged. You can't let sin go undisciplined within the church. And also it shows us God's number one concern for His children is that they don't get out of line. God isn't concerned about greatness. The greatness of his children. He's concerned about the holiness of his children. Amen. It goes all the way back to verse 1. When they were arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus has been going through this saying. No, 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 no guys. It's not about greatness. It's about leastness. It's about lostness. It's about holiness. He's correcting their thinking. Let's, let's look at this today. I want to see how to deal with sin in the church. and I'm going to give you a, a three-point outline here as, as we work our way through this passage, how to deal with sin in the church. Number one, I want to show you the purpose of dealing with sin in the church. Why do we deal with sin in the church? And you'll see that there, first of all, because there's sin. And sin is a problem. He uses a term here for sin in verse 15. He says, moreover, if thy brother shall. And the word there is trespass. And in the Greek, it's just a general term for sin. And it means that if someone in the church sins, if someone in the church misses the mark, God has set the mark, God has given the standard. And if we, as His children, miss the mark, if we don't walk the line, if we cross over the line, if we do things we shouldn't do and get this we will sin it should not be a surprise this is talking about God's children so we need to understand this it's not uh, hypocrisy for Christians to sin it is normalcy for ch- Christians to sin we all sin every single one of us just because we get saved we don't stop sinning but we should I, I like this quote it doesn't mean we're sinless it means we ought to sin less So we don't quit sinning. We will sin because we're in the flesh. We're in the world. We have Satan attacking us. We will sin in the church. Don't be surprised by it. This one may sin against that one. That one may sin against this one. There's going to be sin in the church. Don't be surprised by it. He says there, when a trespass happens, or when a fault between thee and him happens, it will happen in the church. We shouldn't be like, oh no, I can't believe that. It happens. Do not be surprised by that. We can, get this, fall into sin. We can, as God's children, slip up. Even into a pattern of sin. Even into unrepentant sin. We are all prone to sin. In our beliefs, with doctrinal error, in our actions. We can all fall into adultery. If we're not careful. Fornication. Gossip slander all manner of evil can we commit if we aren't careful and when we do here's the purpose in what he's saying it's dangerous for the christian and for the church when there's sin in the church Christians go astray and he said that in verses 12 and 13 they go astray they drift out of the fellowship of the church they drift away from God and away from other believers so there's an aspect of it that is dangerous because it causes us to stray that we're not as close to God as we ought to be and we stray away from God and away from his children it causes us to separate from each other sin will is the main cause of division within a church This one sins against this one and all of a sudden they're fighting and there's division and there's splitting and all of a sudden there's a church over here and there's a church over here and there's a church over there. This one church has planted five different churches off a split because of sin. I'm telling you why sin must be dealt with because it's dangerous to the Christian and it's dangerous to the church. It also will stain a church. there's sin within a church, the community looks at the church and says, what kind of church is that? What kind of God do they follow? Right. Amen. This is the reason why we must deal with sin in the church. Here's the purpose of it. You must deal with sin in the church because it's dangerous to the Christian. It's dangerous to the church. So when we see that sin within a church, we gotta deal with it. And, and, Why do we deal with it? Watch this. Here's the reason why we deal with it. And I want you to get this in verse 15. Look down there with me. I've I've showed you the trespass. I've showed you the fault. But I want to give you another word there. We deal with it because sin is dangerous. And because believers are precious. Can I say that again? We deal with sin in the church because sin is dangerous. And our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are precious to us. Look what it says. We deal with it so that we might gain our brother. Do you see the word gain there? It means to win. It means to get him back. It means to bring him back, to bring it back together. It, it, it almost means to, to to mend a broken bone. That there's been a bone that has been broken and you're going to come in and try to mend those pieces back together. Where well, it means that somebody has left and went away like a prodigal son. And that you, your goal is, and, and I love this, your goal isn't to... to Shame a brother. You see that? It doesn't say you shame a brother. The goal isn't to to kick them out of the church or to run them off or to hurt their feelings. That's not the goal. We've lost someone that we value very deeply. We've lost a brother. Or our relationship with a brother has been separated or broken. And, and, And it's that relationship and that believer is so valuable and so costly that we will do whatever it takes to get them back. We want to gain a brother. We don't do it to shame them. We do it to gain them. They're drifting. We want them back. And we will do whatever it takes to get them back. That's what he's talking about here. Galatians 6.1 it says to restore them, to fix the relationship, to win them back. So the purpose and the goal of dealing with sin is for the good of the Christian and for the good of the church. We do this because we want them back and we want them back out of sin so there's the purpose now I want to show you because your next question is well how do we do it and the answer is in the in the next two three verses two verses and that's point number 2 I'll show you the purpose of dealing with sin in the church now I want to show you the plan for dealing with sin in the church and this is the bulk of the sermon If we know it's good for the Christian and it's good for the church, if we know we must do it because sin is dangerous and believers are precious, then how do we go about doing it? How do we go about, if we see a Christian in the church who's gotten into sin, they've slipped away, they're they're broken away from the fellowship of the church, they're living in some kind of sin that they shouldn't be living in. If we see that and we understand it's going on, how do we deal with it? Because we must deal with it. And he gives us here a four-step plan. I love how... He lays this out for us. I'm going to just go step one, step two, step three, step four. And this is how the church ought to deal with sin in the church. Watch this. Step number one. It says, moreover, if thy brother shall sin against thee, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I love that. This is so simple. If he sins against you and you see it, and if you know it, this is personal. This isn't the pastor going to the person. This is the one who sees it is going to the one who did it one-on-one. This is face-to-face, personal. This is you dealing with you. If you see it, you go deal with it. And the word go there is get up and get going immediately. If you see it, if you personally see a Christian in sin, then it's your job, it's not your job to go and call somebody and say, I saw somebody in sin. To gossip about somebody. It's your job. This is personal. This is you. He says that there. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, that's you. Get up and go. Don't be indifferent. Take the first step. You get involved. You love this one enough that you'll get up and get involved and go to them face to face. We don't see this in church much, do we? But this is what he says. Don't call anybody. Don't gossip about anybody. Get one on one, face to face. The one who sinned should be the first one to hear about the fault. You with me? The first one to hear about it should be the one who did it. I see it. I'm going to him. This could be a husband going to a wife. This could be a, a parent going to a child. This could be a brother in a church going to another brother in the church or a sister in the church going to another sister in the church. This is also the way, even if you see a pastor in sin, First Timothy says, if you, if you see your pastor drifting, fading, or going into some doctrinal error, this is how you do it with a pastor. This is how it goes. One on one, face to face. Tell him his fault. I like that you see that. And tell him his fault. <laughs> Make it clear. Expose the sin. That's hard. I don't know which one's harder, the one telling it or the one hearing it. You're sitting there saying, if I tell him what he's done, he's likely to punch me. <laughs> I'm likely to lose a friend. I'm likely to lose a brother. But get this I care so much about my brother that I'm willing to, list, to lose a friendship. If it means that I, I'm working to get him back. Watch this. Here's how it must be done too. And, I, and I'll move on to step two. Galatians 6.1 says this. That when you go to this one. It says brethren if a man be overtaken in a fault. Ye which are spiritual restore such a one. In a spirit of meekness. Considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. Amen. So when you go to you. The person who sees it goes to the one who does it. You don't go and be argumentative. There's a lot of very confrontational people that it's likely to go to somebody and say, listen, you little sinner. (laughs) That's not how you do it. We don't go argumentative. We don't go judgmental. You don't go and be mean and hateful and puffed up like you've never sinned in your life. You go in a very tender, sympathetic, patient, kind way, understanding your own sin and your own likelihood to be where he's at in the near future. And you go and you show him his fault. The Bible says what you're doing is wrong. The Bible says what you're doing is wrong. You need to see it. You need to confess it. And you need to repent of it. Do you see why I I said it was the most neglected passage of scripture in the entire Bible? You need to see what happens. And you better come with the Bible not your opinion. You see it. You must confess it, and you need to repent of it. And if he says, yes, I see it, yes, I confess it, yes, I repent of it, then you've gained a brother, you've won him, and you ought to rejoice. But what if he says no? Let's move to the second step. It says in verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, what's after that? If he doesn't hear you the first time, you're going to say, I give up. I'm done. I'm going to gossip about him now. We need some good old-fashioned Christian fellowship on the phone about another brother. No, that's not what you do. It doesn't say that. What do you do next? You take it to the next level. I mean, you just keep on going. This is this just keeps going. He's ramping it up. This is Jesus chasing his lost sheep, and he doesn't give up until he finds it, this is what the Bible says. Then you do what? Then take with you. So this one's went to this one. And said, I see your sin. You need to see it. You need to confess it. You need to repent of it. And he looked back at him and said, no, I ain't done that. I ain't quitting that. You're wrong. So this one doesn't just give up. He goes back and says, I'm going to find me a couple other people. And why in the world would they get now two or three people going at him? You know, it's like ganging up on. Now I am going to bring two or three with me. We're going to be, there's going to be three of us on one now. It's not one on one. It's it's three on one now. Why does he say that? Here's the reason. Deuteronomy 19, the Old Testament says there's never, never going to be an accusation without two or three witnesses. It's God's rule. God doesn't tolerate false reports. So it's Old Testament rule, God's rule. It's also a check on me. That when I go and tell two other people that they're going to look at me, they may look at me and say, you know, I think you're a little wrong on this. I think you're being too judgmental on this. I think there's some gray area on this. I think you may be wrong. So I get two or three with me, and they may they may disagree with me, and I may be out of line, and I may be, need to be the one that needs to be corrected. But if they agree with me, and they see the sin too, and they see it in the Bible, and they say, yes, that's a sin, then we go to him, two or three is more likely to convince than just one. If we all say the same, if we all go in love, if we all ask, they are more likely to listen and we're more likely to gain our brother back with two or three than we did with one. It's just taking it to the next step. So now two or three go to him and they look at him and say, the Bible says you've sinned. We agree. We need you to confess it and we need you to repent of it and we need you to be back in church. We need you to be back and close to God. You say, well, that. what if... That works. I mean, this, this shows the relentlessness of this. Search them out. This is the heart of God here. We must have the heart of God and never be indifferent towards sin, straying, and sinning Christians. And I think that I failed here. Just being personal. I think there's been many. I was looking at an old, old, old directory church directory the other day just pulled it out was looking through it i think it was from 19 no it was 2003 and we was going through it and and it was this one gone 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 this one's still here this one gone this one i just keep turning the page this one and you guys can name them you could go through the same directory and see the same thing Some of those people left before I came here 10 years ago. Some of these people have left since I've been here and you know who they are and I know who they are. I think I have done a pitiful job of being relentless in trying to get those people back. It's pitiful. It's heartbreaking. It shouldn't be ever good riddance to you. Amen. It should always be a relentlessness that keeps on over and over. One on one, three on one. That's God's heart in searching his lost sheep and it ought to be God's people's heart searching the lost sheep. I shouldn't be turning those pages saying they left and I never done anything. They left and I never done anything. This one's in sin and this one's in sin and this one's in sin. They left and I never did anything. The church is better without you. It should never be that. He wants us to have this heart towards his people. And it's a shame that we don't. So what if they don't listen this time? Let's move to step three. I know this isn't fun. This isn't necessary. Yeah. Step three. It says if they neglect two or three. Look, look what it says. He will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, the two or three, verse 17, then tell it unto the whole church. <laughs> wow. That's a big step that now, whoever it is, gets up in front of the church and says, listen, guys, we've lost a brother. His brothers fell into sin. They're doing this. It's biblical. We, I've went to them. Two or threes went to them. We showed them their sin. We've asked them to confess it. We've asked them to repent of it. And they still haven't done it. So now we bring it before the church. And what is the church supposed to do with it? You bring it before the local body of believers. You bring it before the gathering of the saved people. And what does the church do? You know what the church does? It doesn't become judgmental. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't get angry. It doesn't get bitter about these people. Now God has gathered all of his people and said, now all of you go to that person. I, I, I love that. It's like God sends an entire army to find one sinner. It goes back to verse 12 we preached last week. If a man have a hundred sheep and lose one of them, will he not go after the one and leave the ninety and nine? You better believe he will. That one is so valuable that one will go after them, two or three will go after them, and now God says, I want my whole church to go after them, and I want you all, maybe not all at the same time, but you're going to call, and you're going to text, and you're going to send an email, and you're going to write a letter, and you're going to knock on the door so that they're getting overwhelmed and bombarded with people in the church saying, please stop this sin! Our heart breaks for you. You're going in the wrong direction. A whole church that cares so much that we'd all go after that one. Not good riddance, but please come back. That's what He's saying here. This is, a, this is not mean. This is not judgmental. This is so much love. God's saying, I won't just send one. I won't just send two or three. I'm sending a whole army after one. Isn't that what the military says? No man left behind? They're all so valuable that we're going to send a whole army to get one. And God says that's what the church ought to be. We don't want to lose one. Sounds crazy, don't it? It's unheard of, isn't it? I heard a pastor preaching this passage this week. I was listening to a sermon while I was running. And the pastor got up and he he got done with this. And he said, now I want you to, he pastors a church of about 400 people. He said, I want you to raise your hand if you've ever seen this done in the church. And I thought, 400 people? I mean, he'll get a, he said, okay, okay, okay. 14 out of 400 people. We're not only living in an age of undisciplined children, we're living in an age of undisciplined church. And because we're not disciplining our own people, correcting them, the church has gone wild. Yeah. They do whatever they want. They act however they want. They're out of control. Amen. And you've got people leaving churches, going to this church. It's full chaos. And that's not how it's supposed to be. The whole church would pursue one It shows that we love that one so much and we care that much that we would go that far to get that one back. The whole church pursues one. And then it goes further. Let me go to this last step. And I think this is the hardest step by far. Watch what it says. Step four, verse 17. It says, if he neglects to hear them, that's the two or three, then tell it to the whole church. But if he neglects to hear the church, Step four is, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. If he neglects the church, if we call, if we email, if we send letters, if we send faxes, if we knock on their door, if we send pigeon notes, if we do everything we can do, I think it's an all-out assault trying to get that one back. It's everything the church can do to get that one back. And I'm not talking all at once. I, I, mean, I think biblically we should be doing this, I mean, it, it may be over a month's time, when we're all doing our best to get that one back, whoever it is and whatever they're doing. But if our sin is dangerous to them, and we love them, and they're so valuable, so valuable that Jesus died for them, Then it's so valuable that we ought to pursue them. So we do everything we can as a church, and if they still say no, if they still refuse... If they won't give up their sin, here's the last straw. And this is extreme. This is the last thing any Christian would ever want to happen. This, this is that final thing here. I do that with my kids. I'll give them a warning. <laughs> warning shot. Stop fighting. Or I'm going to whip you. Okay, there's, there's step one. Stop fighting or... You're going to get in trouble. You're going to be grounded. Step two. The worst thing you can tell them is stop fighting or I'm turning Fortnite off. (laughs) And it's, oh no! I'll do whatever you say. This is that final straw. This is the last thing any Christian ever wants to happen to them. You say, what is it? That you treat that person like an unbeliever. That they no longer are a part of the fellowship of the church. That they are treated, it says, like a heathen and a tax collector. That is two of the most despised and despicable people in the Bible. It says you treat them like a pagan, like a traitor. Like they no longer belong in the church. We don't hate them, but we don't treat them like brothers anymore. This is the extreme last step, and it rarely gets here. Most of the time, it's one on one, and it'll get fixed. Three on one, okay, maybe. Nobody wants to take it to the public church, but nobody wants to be treated like an unbeliever. This is a step ultimately to protect the church. Because you can't let sin go on in the church. And it's a step that should open the eyes of the sinning Christian. Where they say, wow, this is serious. I'm going to ask you this. You, as a Christian, if churches did this and you belong to a church that did this, would you not think twice before getting into sin? If you knew that there'd be one coming after you, you'd think, oh no, that, that one's going to keep me accountable. Or somebody, I've got a hundred people in this church that might come after me one-on-one if I get into this. I better not do this. Or if you thought, oh no, three's going to come after me. I better not get into this. If a whole church is going to come after me, I better not do this. They might not let me come to church anymore and belong. I better not do this. This is that warning. This is that that don't cross the line. I think it would hinder people from sinning in the church. Let me give you a couple passages. You don't have to turn there. Just, Just listen. This is all over the Bible. I mean, I don't know how we miss it. Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions. And offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned. Mark them out. Paul did this in his letter. Don't have fellowship with that one. Don't have fellowship with that one. And he said them by name. And it says here, mark them and avoid them. I'll give you another one. 1 Corinthians 5 3. Again, you don't have to turn there. Just, Just listen. This is all over the Bible. Paul says for verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning them that has done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You hand them over hoping that this extreme step will bring them back to where they need to be. I'll give you one more. Second Thessalonians, we should be doing Bible sword drills here, and you guys should be following along. But 2 Thessalonians, if I can find it. 2, Thess- 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 13. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, mark that man, and have no company with him, So that he may be ashamed of himself. I've got more verses. I just don't have time to read them. This is all over the Bible. And that's the point. Sinners should be comfortable in the church. But sin should never be tolerated in the church. Now moving to the last point. Because that's the, the plan. For dealing with sin. And I think. It goes together so well with disciplining children because I think disciplining my children is the hardest thing I'll ever do as a parent. I can't stand doing it, and I, and I do. I whip my kids, and, and I walk away with tears in my eyes. But I know that if I let them go, they'll become undisciplined and uncorrected, and they'll, be, they'll, they'll go out and live who knows what kind of life, doing whatever they want to do, however they want to do it, so I must discipline my kids. But it's the hardest thing that I ever do as a parent. Steph knows it. That's why when she, she says, you guys better be good or I'm going to call your dad. <laughs> she gets dad to do it. She doesn't want to do it. I mean, and I'm like, you want you do it? <laughs> it's the hardest thing in the world to do is discipline your kids. And I think this is the hardest thing to do as a church. Amen. There's nothing harder than this. And God knows it's hard. He knows it's unnatural. I mean, I mean you do tell me, how, how hard would it be for you to go one-on-one, or for you to go three-on-one, or for the whole church to do it, and then to say, okay, I'm going to have to treat you like an unbeliever now. I mean, that's, that's hard, especially for people that we love. I mean, that's, that's a hard thing to do. So we need some kind of encouragement, and God knows that. We need some kind of encouragement that says, I'll be with you in it. We need a promise. From Jesus, that He'll help us in it. And that's exactly what He gives us in these last three verses which is the best part. I'm saving the best for last year, where Jesus did, because now He not only gives us the purpose in dealing with sin, which is to restore the Christian and to purify the church, and then we have the plan for dealing with sin, which was a four-step plan, and now He gives us a promise for when we deal with sin in the church. This is a promise. Verses 18, 19, and 20 is a promise from Jesus to the church who deals with sin. And look what He says. I love this. Verse 18, He says, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You say, that's an odd verse. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Whatever decision the church makes here on earth, heaven is in agreement with it. If a church does it right, does it by the book, and when the church renders that judgment based on God's word, heaven is behind us 100%. You always need somebody I, in life. I was talking to my family yesterday about this because we was watching the, the, the uh, town halls the other night. Trump had one. Biden had one. This isn't political. I was just watching them. Okay? No, I'm not, I'm not giving you any, any politics. But I would flip back and forth from the Trump to the Biden, from the Trump to the Biden. And, and I was watching the Trump, and they'd ask him a question, and he'd answer it. And there's a woman behind him. I don't know if you guys noted it, noticed it. But there's a woman behind him that the enti- entire time he answered, she'd do, yeah 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 and at one point she did yeah (laughs) and and I looked at Steph and I said we all need somebody behind us saying yeah 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 I mean I need that that's why I fish for amen sometimes because I get up here and I think man nobody's listening nobody likes this I need somebody to say yeah 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 (laughs) you need that don't you I, I, when I need that I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to run out of time but I, when I need that I look at Gracie Bell the entire time I'm preaching Gracie's sitting there doing I don't know if she's paying attention or not but I'm like yeah me and her is on the same wavelength here she's right behind me and I know Steph's over there I don't even have to look at it you know what she's doing over there yeah preach it Josh. yeah <laughs> I know it she's, see she's over there doing it right now <laughs> You guys can't see her, but it's happening. You need somebody like that, don't you? I mean, I I need that. I I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that my wife is with me 100%. She's told me that at our our marriage. She said, I'm with you, Josh. And when you preach, I may not say amen, but boy, I'm inside me. It's yeah! She's with me. And if everybody else left me, she's going to be standing behind me. You with me? Now get this. I know Gracie Bell's with me. I know Isaiah's with me. I know Christian's with me sitting over here. Even if he's not paying attention. He's he's over there saying, I don't know what dad's saying, but yeah. (laughs) Emma's downstairs. She's with me. I hear my dad say amen. He's with me. Johnny moved here and he looked at me and said, I'm behind you preacher. 100% I got up to say something one night and then Wednesday night and I said, I don't know if y'all are going to agree with me or not on this. And Johnny didn't know what I was going to say. And he said, I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) You need people behind you. You need people in your corner. And get this. I I named some people, but I can go around the room and I've got a ton of people that's just like that. I know this one right here is with me no matter what. I know he's behind me. I've got deacons that are behind me. We faced church discipline not too long ago, four or five years ago. We were sitting in my office trying to figure out what we were going to do with sinning members in our church. And I had Jim look at me, and I hate to call him out. He looked at me and said, we've got to do what the Bible says we've got to do. Yes. He says, the Bible says do this. We've got to do this. And he said, I'm behind you. And boy, my deacons, all four of them, said, I'm behind you. I walked, out, I walked into that office like this right here. I walked out of that office like this right here. Is that, is that not true? You need somebody behind you. You need somebody in your corner. And this says that when you church discipline or you correct sin in the church, that heaven's behind you. 100%. Is that not encouraging? That's as encouraging. I, I mean, I love having Steph behind me doing yeah. I love Gracie Bell sitting there doing yeah. I love having my, my Brandon and Johnny and my deacons. I love having, I think we've got a church right now that we're 100% behind the preaching of the Word of God. I love that. But if, if I didn't have any of that, I know you are, Chris, right behind me, man. I called him this week, and he was in the hospital. And he said, I don't know how you're doing it without me down there at that church. I said, I can't. I've got to have Chris behind me. Going to funerals with me, helping me, I know it. You gotta have people behind you, 100%, no matter what, you need that. But if you don't have any of that, and all you got you and two or three others, I know I got heaven behind me. Yeah. Oh God. In heaven, saying, Yeah, they're doing the right thing. If everybody else hates it, they're doing the right thing. That's what it says there. I'm behind you. I mean, you should write that out. In verse 18, that this is heaven saying, I'm behind you 100% in this. I know it's going to be hard, but all of heaven is saying, yeah, they're dealing with sin the right way. I love that. And watch this, it's not just that. but This goes even better. I'm behind you. Verse 19, I'm listening to you. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as in touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them for of my Father which is in heaven. You say, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you can get two or three people together and as long as they agree on an answer that God has to answer. it. People use that. There's people in churches that will say, I'm in agreement with you. I'm in agreement with you. One, two, three, you have to do it now. That's not what this says. Because if that was the case, I could have one here saying, Josh is going to win the lottery. One here saying, Josh is going to win the lottery. Josh is going to win the lottery. <laughs> That's not how it works. He says here that if a church is coming together with two or three and they're doing this discipline and it's correcting of sinning Christians, then I will hear your prayers for them. Yeah. For them. Watch this. The first thing we do is not throw stones at these sinners. It's pray for these sinners. Yeah. Yeah. And I promise you, I'll hear you. I love that. Our prayer is, God, he's strayed and he's not listening and he's refusing. Would you please, get this? Would you please chasten them? Would you please discipline them? Would you please convict them? Would you please bring them back? One, two, three. Please. Please. See, we don't do this. This could be step number five. That after that doesn't happen, the church comes together, and every prayer meeting we ought to have a list of straying Christians. That one, two, and three, if not more, comes together and says, God, chasten them, God discipline them, God convict them, God show them your sin, their sin, God, show them, please bring them back. We ought to be on our knees begging God. That's the power of the church. We might have more people come back from straying and repenting of their sin if we did what He told us to do. Follow the steps. Know heaven's behind you. Know that heaven is listening to you. I don't only have your back 100%. I'm listening and I'll answer when you pray for them. Churches today don't pray. We throw stones. We don't need you. We're better off without you. No, our prayer meetings ought to be full of mothers praying for straying children. Shouldn't they be? Spouses praying for adulterous husbands or wives. God, bring them back. We ought to be a church of praying for straying Christians. That's motivation to pray if you ask me. This is how God seeks straying sheep. Through us. I'll give you another one if you want it. I think this is the best one. We not only have heaven saying, I'm behind you. We have the Father saying, I hear you and I'll answer you. And we have Jesus saying, I'm with you. Are you with me? What's this? Let me, let me say it again. We have all of heaven saying, I'm behind you. We have the Father saying, I'll answer you. We have Jesus saying in verse 20, I'm with you. Watch this. You've heard this verse before. Most of the time you hear this verse, it's, a, it's at a prayer meeting when there's only three people there. Three people show up. And it's like, okay, the crowd's not like we want. But the Bible says if we have three people here. He's, he's here with us. That's not what this verse is talking about. He says here, watch. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there, I am, there am I right in the middle with them. This is this is This is great. When we do something, and I've I've, I've I've spent a lot of time just going through the Bible, looking for the times when God tells us, I'm going to be right there with you. You, you with me? Follow, just do that. Go through the Bible, look up, I'm with you. Look up God saying, I'll be with you. Look, look up those phrases. I did that this week. And, and it shows me something, that when we do something extremely hard... When we do something that we don't think we can do, when we do something that's just so out there that we think it's impossible, that when that happens, repeatedly God says, but I'll be with you. Yeah. Amen. And I've got verses. to Matthew 28. Watch this. And I know He's always with us, but in these times, He's there with us in a special, extraordinary way. Watch this. Matthew 28. Go into all the world and share the gospel. And lo, I'm with you always. One of the hardest things for a church to do or Christians to do is to share the gospel. How can I go out there and tell them they're sinners, and that they're on their way to hell, and that if they don't believe in, a, in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that they're all going to go to hell? How can I do that? But when we go and do that, there's a, a promise that I'm going to be right there with you. I'm behind you. I'm backing you up. I'm there with you in that. What a promise. I'm with you. I've got another one. Isaiah 41.10 says, talking about when when you're scared or when you're fearful. Oh, What a, what a verse for our time. It says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, dismayed, for I am thy God, and I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold you with my right hand of my righteousness. That's an amazing promise that when you're going through something so hard and so scary that He will be right there with us. Psalm 23 says when we're facing death, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He's right there with us. That may be the hardest thing a Christian ever goes through. But I'll tell you this, when I've watched Christians die, it's usually, I want to say 100% of the time, I can't think of one that wasn't the most peaceful thing I've ever seen in my life. There's something extraordinary about that time and how Jesus carries his children home. Amen. Joshua getting ready to go in the promised land, what does he say? I'm with you. Yeah. I'm right there beside you. It's the same thing I do with my kids, and, and I'm going to close in about 15 minutes. Emma likes to play Fortnite with my boys at night, late at night. And they're in their room all the way at the end, one end of the house, and she still sleeps in the bed with Steph for at least another week at the other end of the house. And we've got all the lights off. And she's got to walk from one end of the house to the other end of the house. And little Emma's still scared of the dark. But she can go through any darkness. And she says, Dad, will you carry me? And I pick her up, carry her to bed, and lay her down. And she didn't have a fear in the world. Why? Because her daddy's with her. And every single time we go through something very hard, he promises to be right there with us. And I can bring it right back to this passage that he says, I know you're going through something that is extraordinarily hard. There's nothing harder for a church to do than to discipline its own members. But when you do it, I'll be right there with you the entire time. That's an amazing truth. It shows you it's hard. But never is the church more in tune, more in symphony with Christ. Never is the church more like Christ. Never is Christ more present within the church than when it's dealing with sin. I love that. I'll give you a passage and we'll we'll close. You can turn there with me. Acts chapter 5. You guys know what's going on in Acts 5. This is when the church obviously has first started. It started in Acts chapter 2. And we get to Acts chapter 5. Get this. Acts chapter 2, the church begins. It's, it's, a, it's a, the birth of the church. It's the newness of the church. And then you get to Acts chapter 5, and sin has already crept into the church. you, you with me? It don't take long for sin to get into church. And in Acts chapter 5, God shows us just how serious He takes sin within the church. Just how serious He takes it. Sin cannot be allowed to go unchecked and uncorrected within a church. And watch what He does. I just want to read this to you and show you how, how this works out. I'm not going to do a whole lot of commentary on it. You guys know me. I'll probably do a lot of commentary on it. But verse 1, it says, A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, she knew about it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet as an an offering. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? They promised part, they promised the whole, and only gave a part, so they lied. So you're with me so far? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in your heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but you've lied unto God. So you see what Peter did there? Peter, one on one, goes to Ananias and said, You've lied! Scripture said you've lied! Do something about it! And watch what happens. And Ananias, hearing these words, I mean, he didn't even give him step two. He didn't even give him step three. There's no step four. Step one, it's over. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and died. God takes sin serious. He gave up the ghost. And I think this is just a dumb moment. And great fear came upon all of them that heard this. Wouldn't you be scared? You lied, die. You lie, you die. And a young man rose, wound him up and carried him out and buried him in the moment. It was a space space about three hours, his wife came, not knowing what was done, and she came in. And Peter answered unto her and says, tell me whether you sold the land for this much? And she said, yeah, for that much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that you've agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out too. I mean, you, you say, wow, You're going to, they're, going to, they're killing people It's sin. God's killing people It's sin. That's how serious he takes sin in the church. You'll never grow a church like that. Nobody's going to go to a church that gets called out for their sin. Watch this. Then she fell down immediately at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and said, I guess we're going to go bury another one. They found her dead and they carried her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church. We better be very careful here. You say, that's going to destroy a church. No, 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 no. Watch this. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. You get that? The church all became in one symphony. They were together. There's purity. And the rest, and of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And watch what God did. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women. God blessed correcting sin in church by adding to the church. God dealt with it. God added to it. God wants and uses a pure church to preach the gospel to the world. God's not looking for greatness in the church. He's looking for holiness in the church. So let me, let me close by saying this. Is there anybody in here today that needs to deal with their sin? And I say that, let me, let me say this in, in a salvation way. If you're not here to if you're here today and you're not saved, and your sin has never been dealt with in a salvation way, where it's not forgiven, it's still on you, that you've never went to Jesus and said, Forgive me for my sin, and I'm sorry, and I, I confess it and I repent of it, and I, I turn to you in faith, then there's only one way to deal with that sin. It's not a I'll give you a one step plan to deal with your sin in a salvation way look to the lord jesus christ who died on the cross for your sin put your faith in him and every bit of your sin will be wiped away cleansed and forgotten never to be talked of again if you put your full faith and trust in the lord jesus christ you don't have to deal with your sin because he's already dealt with your sin if you're here today and that's you i urge you plead with you look to christ who dealt with your sin once and for all. But if you're here today and you're a believer, and there's still maybe even unrepentant sin that you're hanging on to, that you're playing around with, I urge you today, before we start pointing out other people's sins back and forth, we need to take our finger and point it right here. Before we start pointing out things in other people's eyes, we need to look at the mote in our own eye. And we need to all right now because you're sitting there thinking, man. What if what if somebody comes to me today and points out my sin? What if this one's seen this and and they come to me and we start obeying this? Then I need to start getting some things straight before one comes, before three comes, before the whole church comes. So we all need to right now. And I've done it this week, God. If there's anything, whether whether it's ignorance or whether it's 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 sin or, or rebellion or even doctrinal things, whatever it is, God, let me get it straight so I don't have one coming to me or three. Coming to me, or the whole church coming to me. I need to get it right, right now. And the Bible promises that that if any of you have sin in your lives right now, as Christians, that if you confess your sins, He's faithful and He's just and will forgive your sins completely and totally. So we all need to do this today. And I know I didn't give much of an altar call for believers, but I want this to be uh, for unbelievers. I want this to be for believers today. That as I pray right now, Let's start with me. Who needs to deal with their sin? We should all get out a black marker. I've got, I've, got a, I've got a pen. And we should draw a circle on the floor. Don't do it actually. That would look real bad. And we need to get in that circle and say, God, help everybody in this circle to be rid of sin in their lives. Start with me. So as I pray here right now, may we all pray, God, if there's sin in my life, show it to me. God, when I see it, help me to confess it and repent of it. God, help me to deal with sin in my life today and every day so that we may not be great, but we can be holy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I know it's a difficult passage today. I I know it. I think it's necessary. I think we need to deal with sin. We need to be reminded of how dangerous sin is. So help us to deal with it. First, God, if there's anybody in here who's never dealt with it eternally, that they're still under the judgment of Almighty God, that today would be the day they look to Christ and have their sins forgiven. And then, God, for us as believers, that we have this practical day-to-day living in the dirt of life, sin that pops up I pray that you would show us our sin show us where we've rebelled show us where we've slipped show us where we've fallen and God help us to confess it and repent of it that we may live pure and holy lives and then God If it gets to that point where we as a church need to follow these steps, I pray that you'd be with us, that you'd help us, that you'd hear us. Because it's necessary that we deal with sin in the church. So God, work in our hearts today by the power of your spirit to deal with sin in us, to deal with sin in the church. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.